0: Take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 3. Aren't you thankful for the deep love of God? What a a wonderful thing. What a great God we have. And it's awesome to know that God doesn't love us because of us, but He loves us in spite of us. That's awesome. Because it means it's never going to change. If you're a child of God, then you are in His love. And 1 John chapter 3 is where we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue on our series here. We started last week looking at uh, one of the main subjects that John frequently writes about, and that is the subject of love. And we're going to continue looking on in this subject of love over the next couple weeks because he just really hammers this hard and he really just shows us how important it is to love one another. And he writes several verses on this topic and uh, we'll revisit it later on. But so far we've seen the call to love. Listen, he commands each believer to love other believers. If you're sitting here this morning and you are saved, you are commanded to love one another. And by the way, that can be hard sometimes, can it? Let's just be honest. It's hard sometimes to love. And some of you guys are thinking, yeah, you're hard to love, <laughs> right? But honestly, it, it, it is hard to love sometimes. But we've seen the command. It's a command. We've also seen the case against hatred. And John, in our text here, he uses uh, Cain as an example of how not to love. Uh, he, he murdered his brother. Why would he do this? Well, the Bible tells us because his acts were evil and Abel's were righteous. And of course, Cain's actions were the opposite of what love is. And we know in our world today that uh, it is full of Cain's descendants because there are many people that are hateful in this world, and today we're going to look deeper into this truth of uh, how love is a test of the new birth that we have in Christ, and we're going to look deeper into what it, what does it mean to hate. Why would we do that? So that we can know how to love and how to avoid hate. And if we're going to know what hatred looks like, uh, that'll help us. That'll help us know how to love. But John here he gives us insight into this, and we've seen the example that John gives us uh, with Cain. But listen, I want you to understand this morning, church, that hatred goes deeper than just acting out of your hate. That's what the Bible is going to be telling us this morning. So let's look at First John chapter 3. Look at verse 10, and then we're going to look at verse 14 and 15. The Bible says in verse 10, in this, the children of God are manifest. They are revealed. And the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and know ye that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how powerful it is and how life-changing it is, Lord. I pray that you'll just uh, help each of us this morning as we uh, look at your word, that you'll change us and that you'll help us to Be believers in Christ that love each other more. And I pray that you'll help me to say exactly what you want me to say. Help me to just stay true to your word. And I thank you for it. I thank you for everybody that has made it out uh, this morning. I pray you'll be with Carl. Help him to recover from this Lord. And most importantly, help him to come to a saving knowledge of you. Help him to get saved. And I pray, God, that you'll be with the Clarks as they are uh, away. And uh, just give them safety traveling back. And anybody else that may not be here for various reasons, just uh, be with them. This morning in your name. Amen. Next thing we're going to see here from 1 John chapter 3 is the confirmation of the new nature. We've seen how the book of John is a book of tests on how do we really know we are saved And this most recent test is the test of love. And listen, if your salvation, if you ever doubt your salvation, because sometimes that happens, right? If you ever doubt your salvation, then you can realize that If you have a love for believers that you didn't have before, you can be assured in your salvation. I want you to look at verse 19 briefly. We'll see this in the future, but in verse 19, it says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And of course, that's talking about the context of us loving the brethren. We can be assured that we are saved because we love the brethren. And look, here's the thing. Suddenly, after salvation, suddenly after turning to Christ, you desire to be around other believers. Suddenly, you uh, care about them and you love them like you didn't love them before. That is proof and that can assure your heart that you are in the faith. Now, uh, love, I'll tell you what, love, it certainly lacks these days, doesn't it? There is hate everywhere. People that are in the world, they hate each other and they hate Christians. But i tell you what, Christians should not be like that. We should not be... Unloving to other believers. And I'll say this, we shouldn't be unloving to the world, but specifically other believers. And I tell you this, church, listen, these days we see people separate and show hatred to other people over the tiniest little things. Some Christians, they take ecclesiastical separation to the level that you cannot be of the same mind if you're not exactly like I am. If, you're, if you don't fit my little cookie cutter image, then you are not of the same mind. And this is troublesome because it does not promote unity of Christ and it does not advance the gospel message. And I'll say this, thank God we're not all the same. Thank God. We all have different gifts. We all have different personalities. But how often do we see believers fight and squabble and over just such small matters and, and preferences and issues? And to do that shows a lack of love. And to do that harms the body of Christ. I don't want to harm the body of Christ. This is why John emphasizes love so much, because hatred just harms the body. Distaste for other believers, it harms the body. We need love to be shown in this church. And listen, it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with each of us as individuals. Man, look, when visitors come to this church, I want them to leave here thinking, Man, these guys really love each other. How amazing is that, right? And It should be like that. We should love each other. We should love one another, and that's what we're going to talk about. We need love to be shown in this church, and and I want to encourage you this morning. Don't cast somebody aside over a small matter or a disagreement. How often do we see lost people do this? How often do we see the world? They cancel somebody because uh, they don't agree with the way they think or what they believe, and we get outraged about that. Well, listen, a lot of people in, the, in Christianity and in church, they do the same thing. We shouldn't be doing that. We need to think biblically. And there are obviously distinctions that must be embraced by all believers. Uh, but we need to be careful of extreme separation if it's not scriptural because it will hurt the unity of the church. Now, in 1 John 3 verse 10, John tells us that children of God are revealed By righteousness, right? You are revealed by the fact that you desire to live a holy life. And that's very important. And we've seen that many times over the last uh, few months as we look at the book of John. But it also says that they are revealed by their love for the brethren. And how often do we forget that? Oh, well, I I try to be holy. So I'm, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Well, hold on. You also are called to love. It's not just about being holy. You need to be holy as Christ is holy. You need to be righteous as Christ is righteous. But you need to love the brethren. And this correlates what we saw that Jesus said last week in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. But John, he goes further in verse 14. Let's look at verse 14 again. First John chapter 3, look at verse 14. He says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren he that loveth not his brother abideth in death i love how john says in this passage we know we have passed from death to life again this is the book of tests so john tells us we can know for certain if we are in the faith unfortunately today there are many religious systems out there that are deceiving people and they say well you know you can't really know if you have eternal life you cannot really know if you're going to go to heaven someday. But they say things like, you know, just do your best. And then when you die, you can just hope for the best and pray that you get there. But praise God, John says, we can know. Thank the Lord, we can know. And I, let me say this, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? God said, we can know. And I want to ask you this this morning. Do you know? Do you know that you have eternal life? How can you know this? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Go ahead and just turn over there real quick. How do we know that we have eternal life? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He says it twice. You know that you have eternal life if you believe... On the name of the Son of God. And when you believe on the Son, you commit and you turn your life to Him. And look, if you've never done that this morning, if you've never turned to Christ, you don't even, you don't even understand this great love that I'm talking about. If you've never turned to Christ, you have no clue about that song that we just sang, how deep the Father's love for us. It just You don't grasp it because you don't have this love. But if you're sitting here this morning and you've never turned to Christ... Do it today. You must be born again in order to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that we need to realize that we all have sinned. The Bible says in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You don't have to answer out loud because we already know the answer. But have you ever sinned? Some of you guys have sinned in the last five minutes sitting here. <laughs> but have you have you ever sinned? Have you ever lied? disobeyed your parents, gone one mile per hour over the speed limit? <laughs> Only, one. <laughs> Only one. We don't want people to think that we're that carnal. <laughs> Have you ever thought a bad thought? Have you ever coveted? Have you ever lusted? Of course, we've all sinned. Why? Because it's our nature to sin. It isn't our nature to sin, it's our choice to sin. And we come short of God's perfection. You know God is perfect? Perfect. Holy. And if you are here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior from birth, you are at odds with God because you are not perfect, and God is. It's a serious situation to be in because the fact that God is holy, it means that He must punish sin. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death and we are bound for this punishment we are bound for this death as you know i say all the time that wages are what we get for what we have done and we get what we have earned we deserve this death we deserve the separation from a holy god we deserve hell as revelation 21 verse 8 tells us that the fearful and unbelieving and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death and hell is a place where God is not present. And I tell you what, church, I don't want to be anywhere where God is not present. We all deserve this separation, and it's terrible news. But thank God for the good news, that he loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. Jesus Christ came to take the wrath of God that you deserved, that I deserved, and he put it on Christ. John 3.16, a very well-known verse, says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ was crucified for you. He shed His perfect blood and then rose again three days later for you. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So look, if you are here today and you've never trusted in Christ as a payment for your sins, you need to do that today. It is a free gift, and a free gift, it cannot be earned, it can only be received. Unfortunately today, I don't know how many in our church, but I know there are people sitting in churches right now, and they are trusting in their good works to get them to heaven. They are trusting in the fact, well, I'm a church member, or I have been baptized, or I uh, tithe, I give tithes and offerings, Uh, I have done uh, many good things, I'm a kind person, but listen, they're not trusting in Christ. They're not trusting in the saving Jesus Christ, that that he is the only way that we can come to know him. He's the only way that we can come to God. He is the only way that we can come to heaven. The Bible says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We live in a world today where people say all roads lead to heaven. That's totally unbiblical. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ Christ. And thank God in His love and in His mercy, He offers you forgiveness. He offers you eternal life, but it is your choice to accept or reject God's offer. As the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So listen, do you have this assurance? Are you saved? Can you remember a time that you trusted in only Christ to save your soul? If you do this, you can know. And look, If you have not done this, do not leave this church building this morning until you know. Don't do it. You can know that you're saved and thank God you can. So are you saved today? Have you turned to Him? And if you haven't, make today the day of salvation. But look, if you have believed on Christ and you have received Him as your personal Savior, thank God you're saved. Thank God you have this assurance you are a child of God. But let's look at how John describes this new birth and this salvation in 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 14. Look at this again. It says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. He says that we know we have been passed from death to life because of our love. Now, the the Greek word for this passing, it speaks of a removing. It is an action that has occurred in our life once we have been saved. Uh, Just think about it like this. It would be like if I took my Bible and I I picked it up from this pulpit and I removed it from the pulpit and I put it down onto the chair. It's passed from the pulpit down to the chair. Uh, Or another way to put it, just pretend that uh, you went to the grocery store, okay? and you took something from that grocery store, you removed it from the grocery store, and you placed it into your home, it has been passed from the grocery store to your home. You are removing it from one place to another. That's what John is saying has happened if we are saved. And look, if you are saved, you have been passed, you have been removed from death and hell to eternal life. You have been removed from one place to another. And when this happens, you know it. You know it's happened. Look, if somebody was to uh, put a bag over my head, knock me out, and then kidnap me and take me from this cold, wintry Maine, and next thing you know, I wake up and I'm in sunshine in Florida, I'm going to know. I'm going to know I'm in a different place. Listen, if you are saved, you know. It's a totally different different world, a totally different nature. Let's go to John chapter 5. Look at verse 24. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus speaks of this, and uh, of course, I have no doubt that as as many times that we've seen, John just maybe had these words of Jesus in his mind as he he wrote this book, and of course, we know that he, John, wrote the book of John, but look at John chapter 5, verse 24, it says in verse 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that Heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. There's that same word again, passed. If you're saved, this is wonderful. Becoming a Christian is a resurrection from death to life. It is a turning from hate, as we see in our text, to Love. We are passed from death to life. We were going one way. We were on one path, a path that led to death and suffering. And what happened? God moved us to a path that gives us life forever. And because we are a child of God, we are in a totally new place. We have totally new life, and life is different. Because we have God's love, we no longer have that disposition of hate. We have His love. We no longer have that tendency of uh, selfishness and greed and self-gain. We have the tendency of caring and sharing and giving with our brothers and sisters in Christ because of our new love, because of the fact that we've been passed from death to life. And at the moment of salvation, as 1 Corinthians three sixteen tells us, God's spirit dwells within us. Consider this this morning. What is included in his spirit? Love. That's included. The fact uh, that God has given us this gift of His great love, it just far surpasses anything that we could ever do for anybody. The fact that God has given me eternal life and changed everything, and because He shows me such great love, uh, therefore that means that I can show selfless love to other people. I can display this selfless love as we talked about last week. And look, the Bible, it gives us great examples of people that receive Christ And as a result, their disposition changed. Their lives changed. Their ways were different. They forsook what they were, and they embraced their new nature. They turned from hate to love. They were removed from the place of hate, and they were placed in this place of love. And a great example of this is found in a man named Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Let's go there, Luke chapter 19. I thank God for the Bible Thank God for the great examples that he gives us in his word. Zacchaeus is such a great example of somebody who had a disposition of hate. And it changed to love when he met Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 19. Look at verse 2. It says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much or for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What do we see here? We see a man named Zacchaeus who was self-centered. He was hateful and he was greedy. And what he did was most certainly hateful. It was most certainly wicked. Just think about this, church. He stole from families all for self-gain. He stole money from people to become rich. He took food out of the mouths of children for his own self-gain. And I'll tell you what, you have to be filled with hatred to do such a thing. He was not a good guy. I don't want to get political or anything, but we think of people like uh, Putin, for example, over in Russia. We would see the things that he does. Trying to take over Ukraine, and we would look at him and say, man, what a hateful man. Doing all of this just for money and self-gain. Well, this is the kind of nature that Zacchaeus has. This is what Zacchaeus did. But notice, the moment that he received Christ, he said, I'm going to give half of all I have to the poor. And I'm going to restore fourfold anything that I've stolen from anybody. A man named Leon Morris said this of those that he stole from. He said, considering the way that he had made his money, it was unlikely that this would be a short list. And I agree. Just think about how much money Zacchaeus would have to give back to people. I mean, it says he was very rich, so he gave a lot of money to the poor, and he restored four times what he had stolen. But listen, that's beside the point. Regardless of how much money he gave, regardless of how much money he owed people, regardless of how much he gave to the poor, his life and his character was totally different before because Christ changed his life. Christ caused him to do a total 180 as he turned to him. Now, not every habit, of course, in Zacchaeus' life had changed immediately, but his heart changed. His heart changed and there was some evidence of his life changed right away. Zacchaeus had passed from death to life, and he could no longer do what he was doing because he was saved. He went from uh, having a life that was just one that just only cared about his gain, and he was placed into a new life where the love of Christ shone through. Now, if Zacchaeus had continued to do business like he had always done, I believe it would have been safe to say that he was not born again, because we also notice that Jesus declared him to be saved after he said that he was going to do these things. We know. That Zacchaeus was born again because he had love. So as you sit here this morning, Christian, do you have love for other people? Specifically, as our text tells us, love for other believers. Let's go back to 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3. Notice the last part of verse 14. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So he tells us that those that do not love other believers, they abide in death. And we know that abide is one of John's favorite words. And he's saying that those that do not love other believers, they continue in death. And again, simply put, we know we're saved because we have love for other believers. Let me ask you this. Do you love the brethren? Not some brethren. Not some people in this church. Not some people that know Christ, all. If we're saved, we can love all the brethren. Again, even those that are hard to love, if we're saved like Zacchaeus, our life has changed, our motives, our attitudes, our spirit is changed because the spirit of God dwells in us. Look at verse 15 of 1 John chapter 3. And this is where we're going to be for a lot of the message. It says in verse 15... Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. We see that after salvation, things change. That, that assures us of our salvation. We pass from death to life. We pass from hate to love. But at times, we know that love lacks amongst believers, sometimes without even realizing it. I have no doubt in my mind, church, that each one of us here can do better at loving one another. And I include myself in that. We all can do better at loving like Christ loves. Now, what does that look like? It it probably looks different for everybody, but we'll see over the next few weeks how we can love people. But I believe it is safe to say each of us here are at times guilty of not loving as we should. And in turn, we are being disobedient to God. So what does it mean to hate our brother? According to this verse, it's very serious. It says, to hate our brother is to murder him in our hearts. While we may not carry out the action of murder because of fear of punishment or just uh, for other reasons, we maybe just wish that person dead or we detest them or we just don't love them like we're supposed to, we got to keep in mind that this ungodly hatred, it's not just simply that aggressive and violent hatred that Cain displayed. We need to understand that we're just not off the hook because we don't go around killing people. That's not what this is telling us. This is the extreme, but it is not the only form of hatred. And John gives us insight into what hatred is as he makes this direct reference to what Jesus Christ had said in Matthew chapter 5. Let's go there, Matthew chapter 5. John makes a direct reference with verse 15 to what Jesus Christ had said in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 22. We're going to go to another place in Matthew in a bit, but we're going to start here. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 22. Jesus Christ said this, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Rakah shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, shall say, fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into the prison. Now this chapter... Matthew chapter 5, it begins the famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus had preached. But in this passage, what we understand is that the Pharisees were being exposed by Jesus Christ because they taught that anything short of murder might be allowed. Why? Because the law only said, thou shalt not kill. (laughs) Okay? How often are we exactly like that, though? Well, you know, I may despise somebody, but I don't act out my hate. So I'm okay. Or uh, I may covet and desire this item or that item, but at least I don't go out and steal it. Or at least I don't get myself into debt and go out and buy things. Or uh, I may lust in my mind, but at least I don't act out on my lust. Or I might say bad or think bad thoughts, but at least I don't say them out loud. Right? How often do we do that? Jesus just corrects this and rips the street, this, uh, thinking all the shreds in this passage. And he makes it clear that those that uh, are committing this act of murder and transgressing the law are not just people that literally act out in a murderous way. And we see some truths about hatred that need to be clarified so we know what to avoid. In this passage, according to Matthew chapter 5, hatred involves More than just acting out in murder, it involves two things. For one, anger. Just anger in general. We see there, in verse 22, look again, it says, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Again, John is connecting the words of Jesus Christ in our text, and we see that we're not to be angry with fellow believers. And the subject of anger, though, It is very broad because there are a lot of different things that many believers get angry with other believers about. It's just a large variety of things. And I mentioned this on Wednesday nights. Look, sometimes believers will fail you. Did you know that? Yeah, they will. Sometimes believers will fail you. Being a Christian does not make anybody exempt from hurting somebody else. You may have been hurt and truly just wrong by another believer, maybe recently, maybe years ago. But despite this, we need to understand we are not permitted to be angry because that simply allows hatred in our heart. This passage mentions uh, anger without a cause, which means unjustly. But I'll tell you what, church, even if our anger is justified, which at times it may be, but even when our anger is justified, Christ gives us clear instructions on what we are to do when we are wronged by another believer. We are not to allow it to fester. We are not to keep it in. We are not to allow bitterness and strife and contempt in our hearts and how easy it is to allow hatred to creep in our hearts. And as a result, it grows and grows and grows until it overtakes us. So what is the solution that Jesus tells us? Let's go to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. What Jesus tells us is, of course, used and a solution for church discipline, but it is very useful on a personal level. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go... And tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of the two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglected to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, here's the thing, church. The Bible tells us that we should bear with one another. We should be long-suffering towards each other. So when it says go to your brother if they've offended you, you shouldn't just go to somebody over silly little things. Don't go to your brother and say, hey, you offended me because you looked at me funny. Okay, or you uh, offended me because you said something that just kind of felt a little off and I read into it, or uh, we, should, we just should not be offended by every little thing. We need to be long-suffering as Christ is long-suffering to us. But clearly, there are some things that we cannot suffer along with that has to be addressed. There are times when, again, a believer truly does wrong to another believer, and it has to be dealt with, but so many problems and so, many, uh, so much pain... And disunity would be fixed and mended if Christians just actually did what Christians were supposed to do. And that is what we see here in Matthew chapter 18. Sometimes I think, man, how often have I just held in anger before I finally went to that person like I was supposed to? Before I finally did what God tells me to do. Instead of being angry with our brother, what are we supposed to do? Go to them not hide our feelings, not act like nothing happened and uh, just try not to be upset, not keep it in, but go to them. And you might be one of those people, like, like many, oh, I don't like confrontation. Well, Jesus Christ makes it very clear that issues must be dealt with. And if you cannot let it go, if you cannot give it to Christ, if you cannot forgive them in your heart, you need to go to them. And if they listen, and they reconcile after the offense, you've gained a brother. And as the Bible tells us how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. If they don't listen, if they don't reconcile with you, it tells us in, our, in this passage of Matthew 18 to give them another chance by going with two or three other believers, uh, not to just try to get them to take sides, but to establish every word and to assist in settling this difference. And then if that uh, person is truly and he's genuinely offended you and he refuses to reconcile you are to bring it before the church, and if they're still unrepentant, then they need to be cast out because it just causes disunity in the body. Again, shows us how important this is. Now you might think, wow, this is a very extreme. But you know, I have seen most issues that I've been a part of be resolved by simply just going to the offended party. Sometimes it's just a misunderstanding. You know that? I, I, I've seen it before uh, where it's just a misunderstanding. I, I've, I've had somebody approach me before where I said something from the pulpit and they took it wrong. And they came up to me and said, hey, listen, what did you mean when you said this? So I explained what I said, and they said, okay, that makes sense. Thank you, because I was bothered by that, because what, what you said bothered me, and I, it was, I just had to say something to you. Hey, praise God for that. That's the way you want to deal with things. You don't want to just uh, let it uh, fester inside and uh, then potentially allow bitterness and anger to come into your heart. So often, if you just do the first step, you can avoid all the other steps. But what happens so often? We keep it inside. We keep hatred and bitterness in our hearts and we commit murder by God's standards. To do this is to hate. To have anger in our heart towards another believer is to hate them. But instead of harboring anger and harboring bitterness, we need to be willing to forgive as Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Aren't you glad that God's forgiven you? Let's go do that for everybody else. Let's do that for other believers. Our forgiveness to other believers is to be patterned after the forgiveness of Jesus Christ towards us. And as we are new creatures in Christ, we have this new love in us. We have the spirit of God in us. And when we think of the amazing way that God loves us and forgives us, it is shameful for us to withhold forgiveness from those who have wronged us. And by the way, who are we to hold in anger? Who are we to not forgive other people? In Luke chapter 17, we're not going to go there, but uh, the Bible tells us that if our brother trespasses us seven times a day, what are we supposed to do? Forgive. When the disciples ask Jesus Christ, how often should I forgive? What did he say? Seventy times seven. You're going to say, well, that's extreme. Yeah. He's saying, be forgiving always. That's what we need to do. So, listen, church. Are you holding on to anger or bitterness towards another believer? whether they're in this church or out of this church. And if it's in this church, you really, really need to get it settled. This is a serious, serious thing. John tells us if we have anger in our heart, we are a murderer. Uh, If you have anger towards another believer, and I don't care how long it's been, you need to go to them right away. Don't be held back by Satan. And by the way, Satan wants you to be at odds with your brother or sister in Christ, don't be held back by Satan. Don't be held back by your flesh and continue in this sin. If you are at odds with a believer, at all, you need to go home after the service and you need to make that phone call. You need to send that message. You need to write that letter. You need to have that meeting. Whatever it is, you need to reconcile it. To keep anger in your heart is to regard iniquity in your heart and to hold back forgiveness when we have been forgiven of so much is just foolish and wrong. We need to get it fixed. Matthew chapter five, it doesn't just tell us that anger in the heart is the only thing that Christ says is murder. Let's go back to Matthew five and look again, as John is connecting the, this, connecting with this passage in Matthew five. It's not just anger. Let's also look again at verse twenty-two. It says, "But I say unto you that whosoever is angry." with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now this word, Raka, is the only time this word appears in the Bible, and Raka is really just expresses contempt for somebody's intelligence. Okay? So saying this would be the equivalent today of calling somebody brainless or an airhead. That's what it means. Anger is behind it, but it wasn't just anger inside, it was anger outspoken. And by the way, you get to that point by harboring anger in your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. But you know, some people, they'll try to excuse their angry words, even Christians, by saying, well, you know what, I was born this way. And you know, technically they're, they're right, they were born that way. But if you're saved, you've been born again. You're supposed to have love. And our speech should reflect our love. There was once a lady that came to Billy Sunday, a a famous preacher in the 1900s. She tried to rationalize her angry outburst. And she said, you know, there's nothing wrong with me losing my temper. I blow up and then it's all over. How many of you like that this morning? You don't have to raise your hand. But she said, I blow up and then it's all over. And Billy Sunday replied this. He said, so does a shotgun and look at the damage it leaves behind. Our words damage. We need to be careful with our words. We need to be careful not to tear down people and hurt people with our words because that is to show hatred. Instead of speaking words of contempt and speaking words that harm people, what are we supposed to do? Build up, edify. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Man, that's hard, isn't it? hard to say the right things, hard to have grace, hard to, uh, to keep our tongue in and, and not to allow our words to reflect anger. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Well, you're already there, but look at verse 23. When Jesus speaks about anger and, and speaking words of anger, look what he says in verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. And then come and offer thy gift. What is this gift? The gift of worship. Christ is showing us how important it is. That we reconcile with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He is saying before you come to worship me. You need to settle your issue with your brothers and sisters in Christ first. First. Why? Because any dispute, any issue, any problem that we have between the brethren is a dishonor to our Savior. He doesn't want us to worship with contempt and anger in our hearts. And really, just think about this. If you have anger in your heart towards another believer, you're worshiping in a manner that is not acceptable to the Lord. It's convicting. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 3 one more time. Look at the end of 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. He says, And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So again, as this is a true test of a real believer... We know that the mark of a spiritual life is love. So how is your love in regards to what is in your heart and what comes out of your mouth? Does your love reflect the new nature that you are, that you do have in Jesus Christ? Does it reflect your new disposition? Does it, does the way that you speak to people and does the way that your heart is and what's inside your heart, does that show that you've been taken from death? And placed into life, does it show that you have been taken from the disposition of hate and placed into the disposition of love? How is your love? You have been removed from hate and placed in love, but how can we all reflect this truth better? That's what, I want, that's what we need to see this morning, church. How can I love better? How is my love for the brethren? Is there hate in my heart towards any believer at all? Love is evidence of the new birth, but as I've said, we can all do better with this loving one another. And over the next few weeks, we need to be sure to allow God to help us in this area of love. Ask God to search your heart. If there's any anger, detesting, bad thoughts about another believer wrath that is in your heart, this is a call to get it settled. This is a call to reconcile with whoever it is that you have those ill feelings towards. This is a call to not delay anymore and to make it right. This is a call to outwardly use your words to edify and lift up the body of Christ instead of tear down. This is a call to love like we should. And if a believer comes to your mind that you have distaste for, you need you ask God to help you love them, and you need to go to them. So look, church, as we can all do better in this area of love, consider this morning, for yourself, where can I improve? Is there a believer that I am at odds with? Is there somebody I need to go to? It's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Do I speak words of contempt and anger or am I one that shows grace and I express it verbally do I edify other believers or do I tear down do I love as Christ love ask yourself this morning and ask God to show you how can I love more like Christ that's what our church needs that's what our community needs that's what our world needs so this morning what we're going to do is like we always do we're going to have a few moments where We respond to the preaching of the Bible, and we ask the Lord to show us how can I love more like Christ. You ask God to show you, he will. Let's just keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. As I say every week, when the word of God is preached, there should be a response. I don't get up here and talk just to fill the time. The word of God is powerful. It's life changing. So when when God points something out, we need to ask him for help. We need to give it over to God. So we'll take a few moments just to pray. And you can ask the Lord to search your heart. But I also want to mention this. If you have not accepted Christ this morning, and you've never experienced this great love, don't wait. At the end of the service, I'll be in the back. And you can come to me and I can show you in the Bible how you can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven someday and you can have a relationship with Christ. Life is a vapor. It's here for a short time and it's gone, but you can know for sure where you're going to go. Let's just take a few moments to reflect and to pray to the Lord to give us help and to show us how to love better.